You are listening to a message from The Political Pastor. Each week, The Political Pastor expounds the Word of God to his local congregation. These messages are made available to you in podcast on thepoliticalpastor.com as well as other popular podcast platforms. Visit thepoliticalpastor.com and click on the podcast link at the top to find our full listing of podcasts. In our text today, there is a single question asked by Jesus Christ on two very different occasions. It is a question that has application and reveals much about us today. What do you want me to do for you? Join us in Mark chapter 10 verses 35 through 52 as the pastor delivers the sermon, What do you want me to do for you? Mark chapter 10, and then we'll begin our reading in verse number 35 this morning. You know, I appreciate the little threads that connect different events in the gospel of Mark. And take, for example, that connection that we've already seen between the disciples in the boat during a storm and the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the connection of that? was a lesson that the disciples should have learned. As they were in the boat, Jesus was frustrated that they had not learned the lesson of the loaves. And so it was that lesson of the loaves that connected those two otherwise seemingly uh, unconnected events. And so in our text today, there's another one of those threads. It's a common question that Jesus asked on two different occasions, two different stories, two different events, but Jesus asked the same question here, and so we see that connection. And it's a question that has application, I believe, and reveals much about us today. And the question Jesus asks is this, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Mark chapter 10, look with me beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. After hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus and Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. 
So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he is calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You know, there's long been this fascination, I guess, with the thought of a genie trapped in a bottle or a lamp that's just waiting to be freed in order to grant three wishes to the one who releases the genie from captivity. So from Aladdin to I Dream of Genie, I want to ask you to raise your hands, those of you who can remember that far back. Okay, I didn't ask you to raise it, but that's okay, you fessed up to it, that's all right. But we seem to have made the leap now in our modern preaching to a place of fantasy where Jesus Christ is relegated to genie status. Jesus is now the genie in the lamp. It's as if his entire existence is about our best life now. The Jesus genie, we think, or at least in our modern preaching, wants us to ask him for prosperity, for houses and cars and jets, money, fame, promotion, and on and on the list goes. And it seems like our prayers become demands more so than requests. It's as if we're claiming that Jesus owes us due to our faith. That Christ would be our servant asking, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you today? (laughs) And so today, we're just going to introduce this passage. You noticed it was kind of a lengthy passage that we read this morning. I just want to kind of introduce this passage and look at this thread that ties together these two stories that we read. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to examine each particular event in more detail. We'll dedicate messages to each of those events. But today I want to look at that common thread, the thing that weaves these two together. So fear not, I'm not going to try to preach both of those messages today. All right. So our focus today is on the common question that's found in both verse 36 and in verse 51 of our text. Look at it again in Mark chapter 10, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Then look at verse 51. And Jesus answered him and said, what do you want me to do for you? You see that exact same question asked twice on two different occasions. So that is the common thread. Now, remember, we saw last week that Jesus has set his determined course toward Jerusalem. He was on his way back to Jerusalem for a final time, and he was so resolute in his, he was so determined on his course. Remember, it even amazed and frightened his disciples. And they were wondering about what was going on. He was resolute as he marched toward 
the mocking, the scourging, the crucifixion and subsequent resurrection that would come. And it was in that setting with Jesus determined as he's going to Jerusalem, marching toward his death, his humiliation. In the midst of that, two disciples, and we'll discover later it was actually by means of their mother that this comes up, make a selfish request of our Lord. In case you're looking for it, it's not in Mark, it's in another gospel account. As Jesus is determined to go to his crucifixion, these disciples, by way of their mother, make this selfish request of him. We're going to notice a couple things in our text today. We're going to look at some contrast between these two stories. We're going to see a contrast in desires, and we're going to see a contrast in dependence. Now, first, notice the contrast in the desires. There's two different stories, two different sets of desires. We're looking at the disciples, James and John, on one hand, and we're looking at Bartimaeus, the blind man, on the other. But look first at the disciples. What was the desire of the disciples as it contrasts with Bartimaeus? In verse 35 of our text, we're told that James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, come up to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now look at a couple of key terms here that indicates what their desire is. They said, we want. Did you catch that? We want. So we begin to understand their desires are rooted where? In themselves. It's what they desired, what they wanted. Teacher, we want you to do what? Notice the second phrase here that tells us something about their desires. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We want whatever we ask. Do you get that? (laughs) That's the disciples' attitude. We want... Whatever we ask, it's about we. It's about us. It's about me. Some of you are singing a country song. This is what the disciples were saying. Their desires are being evident here. And in verse 37, in response to Jesus asking that question, well, then what do you want me to do for you? Notice what they said in verse 37. Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. What is it they're really asking for in the end? What is it they want? What is it they are asking for themselves? They want the glory. They want the promotion and the prestige and the place of honor. And they want the honor and they want the glory for themselves. They understand that Jesus was preeminent, but they wanted to be right there next to him. Above their peers, above the other disciples, don't you think that's why the other disciples are so indignant later on in this passage? James and John won this place of glory above everyone else. They wanted it for themselves. Now contrast that with Bartimaeus, the blind man. What is his desire? Look at verse 47 of our text. And when he, that is Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, 
he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then in verse 38, they were telling him to be quiet, but he keeps crying out all the more saying this, son of David, have mercy on me. What is Bartimaeus's desire? He desires mercy. The disciples desired glory. Bartimaeus desired mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus asked him that question, the same question he'd asked James and John, when he asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? They said, give us the glory. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Look at what he says in verse 51. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. The disciples said, give me glory. Bartimaeus said, I just want to see. I just want my sight. Now, what would a typical blind beggar be doing along the way? What would a typical blind beggar be crying out for? He'd be crying out for alms, wouldn't he? Money. Give me some money. Help me out. I'm a blind guy. Can't you see? I can't see. You can see. Give me some money. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What would the typical blind beggar say? Well, I want you to give me some money. Not Bartimaeus. He says, I just want to see. I want to regain my sight. So while the disciples wanted reward, promotion, and exaltation above others, Bartimaeus wanted nothing greater than anyone else in the world around him would have enjoyed. He just wanted to see. What do you find are the desires of your heart? What consumes your attention, your time, your resources? Because these things, these things show us what our desires of our heart really are. Your anxieties. What do you spend your time studying? Tells a lot about your heart. What is it that you ask God? to do for you. Think about your own prayer life, even for a moment. Think about your own list of requests, maybe sometimes demands of God. What is it you seek? What is it you ask for? What are the desires of your heart? Do we find ourselves in the James and John camp? Or do we find ourselves in the Bartimaeus camp? Are we seeking glory? Or we content whatever our lot may be such that it is well with our soul. Knowing that God in his providence is just and right in all of his ways and that all his plans are perfect. May our desires be what Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not my kingdom be built. My will be done. We find in our text not only these contrasting desires, but we also see a contrasting dependence. A contrasting dependence. Notice what the disciples are depending upon. Look at verse 35 again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. The first thing the disciples depended upon was their own request. 
They trusted in their own wisdom, their own request. They thought they knew what they needed. They thought they understood what they should ask for. And they depended upon their own request. As if that request that they make could somehow direct Christ, (laughs) point him the direction that Christ should go, because after all, they want him to go their way, right? Without any regard whatsoever for the providence of God. Now, we're going to dig into this more next week, but look at verse number 40 of our text. Jesus, in response to them, he tells them that they're going to drink the same cup and baptize with the same baptism. But verse 40, he says, but to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those. Now, look at this for whom it has been prepared. Jesus is clearly speaking of a plan and will of the father. That God in his providence has established It is settled. And there is no regard whatsoever in the request of these disciples for what God's plan, what God's will may be. They were dependent upon their own knowledge, their own request, not upon the plan and wisdom of God. I think about an example of this from 2 Chronicles chapter 1. If you want to flip back in your Bibles a bit. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, you remember this story of Solomon and his interaction with God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, in verse number 7, here we have back in the Old Testament, God asking a similar question as to what Christ is asking here in the New. 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 7. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I should give to you. Ask what I should give to you. Verse 8, Then Solomon said to God, You have shown great loving kindness to my father David and have made me king in his place. Now, O Yahweh God, let your promise to my father David endure. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now look at his request in verse 10. Give me now wisdom and knowledge. And why? For consumption upon himself? Notice what he says. That I may go out and come in before this people. For who could do justice for this great people of yours? And we're going to read just a couple more, but do you hear in Solomon's request for himself? He requests wisdom and knowledge. Why? For the benefit of the people around him, that he might do the will of God. And in verse 11, God said to Solomon, because you had this in your heart and did not ask as many of us might would, or as we're being taught in our prosperity gospel today to do, you did not ask for riches, wealth, or glory, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may do justice for my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been given to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and glory, such as none of the kings who were before you had, nor those who will come after you. God said, you made the right decision, and I'm going to bless you with more than you ask for. But you ask for the right thing, for the right reason, not just for yourself. 
but for the benefit of others according to the will of God. The disciples asked selfishly without regard for the will of God or wisdom or regard for others. James 1.5 tells us to ask for wisdom if we lack it. That's one of those things we actually should ask God for. He tells us to in his word. Because this is according to God's will. And I want to show you two other verses. Look over in 1 John chapter number 5. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14. Jesus talks about those types of things that we ask of him. John recounts this to us, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his what? His will. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So the idea here is we're not just asking for anything and everything, right? The asking is according to his will. And if it's according to his will, he promises we will have it. So the disciples were dependent upon their own request. But they were also dependent upon their own ability as well. You see this back in our text in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 39. When Jesus tells them that they don't know what they're asking in verse 38, and he asks if they're able to drink the cup that he's going to drink or be baptized with the baptism with which he'll be baptized, look how they respond in verse 39. And they said to him, we are able. That's an amazing phrase, isn't it? Those disciples said, oh, sure, we can do that. We are able, we are capable, we have the ability, we have the power. They were very confident in what they could do. Now the reality is they probably are very sincere in what they're saying here. They probably are committed, at least in their own minds, that they want to walk with Jesus, they're going to stay with Jesus, they're going to endure with Jesus, they're willing to suffer for Jesus, but they still have this idea that somehow they are capable that they have the strength, they have the ability, which was not the case at all. So you see the dependence of the disciples on their own request and on their own ability. But let's look at Bartimaeus in contrast. What is Bartimaeus dependent upon? In verse 47 of our text again, Bartimaeus and his cry out to Jesus was this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 48, as they're telling him to be quiet, he keeps crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. What was Bartimaeus dependent upon? He was dependent upon the mercy of the Messiah. The mercy of the Messiah. You see, no amount of wishing or hoping or desiring or no effort upon Bartimaeus' part would ever be enough to provide what he needed. There was nothing that Bartimaeus could do to improve his own condition. He was totally helpless to do anything about his problem. There was only one who could do anything about his problem, and that was the Messiah. That is the one he's crying out to, and he begs for him mercy. What a picture this is of all of us in our sin. We are totally at his mercy. 
unable to do anything to save ourselves. Romans chapter 9, verse 14 says this, What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. We, like Bartimaeus, are in a helpless condition that we can do absolutely nothing about ourselves. Unless God have mercy on us, we have no hope. Bartimaeus says, I can't do anything for myself. I fall in total dependence on what only the Messiah can do. I'm in need of your mercy. And that is every one of us here today. That's every one of us in our sinful condition. There's nothing we can do. Our cry could be for nothing but mercy. Bartimaeus was dependent upon the mercy of the Messiah. And he was dependent upon faith in the Messiah. In verse 52 of our text, Jesus says to him, Go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he received his sight or regained his sight and began following him on the road. What was the turning point as Bartimaeus cried out for the mercy of the Messiah? Jesus asked him what he wants him to do for him. And he says, I just want to regain my sight. And it's obvious, and we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks. It's obvious that the statement that that Bartimaeus is making here is a statement of faith. He uses a term, Rabboni, not the typical term rabbi or teacher that's used. And where this occurs at least twice now in the scriptures, each of them are statements of faith. Bartimaeus is making a distinct statement of faith in Jesus Christ and his ability and his ability alone to do this. And because of his faith, Jesus says, go, your faith has saved you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 is clear that that's exactly the way every single one of us are saved, isn't it? For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. James 1.6 tells us that if we ask, we must ask in faith, nothing doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You have been listening to a message by the political pastor from his home pulpit. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Be sure to follow The Political Pastor by visiting thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on the subscribe link at the top of the page and learn how to subscribe to us and our various social media feeds. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ and His salvation, please visit thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on contact at the top of the page and write to us. We welcome the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.